Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and setup and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. Turns out year-round now. We're through the offseason, through spring football. Today is going to be all about spring football in the Pac-12. If you have questions for us, email is a great way to get a hold of us. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us. We like to do the Twitter at Pac12podcast. Our website, Pac12podcast.com, has all the old shows. We'll put some data up there, some information, our picks, all that kind of stuff you can find at our website, Pac12podcast.com. And our new Google voicemail, which you can also send a text to, 424-532-0678. No excuses for not sending voicemails. And we got a couple... Uh, we got a whole bunch, actually, but I got a couple from fans, question-wise. And uh, you can send us a text, too, if you want to inject any information. Maybe you're at a bar or something, a little drunk. You want to send the, the podcast of champions what your thoughts are. Talking to You're an Arizona fan, talking to like a Washington State fan. Maybe that'll happen, Dave. We'll get some, some texts from drunk people in a bar. I got someone kind of vaguely hitting on me this week. Really? So this is, this is the one text we've gotten. Dave, unless you want 2 a.m. drunk hookup texts, you should probably move this number off your phone directly. <laughs> Parentheses, if you do, just let me know. Tequila works best. No. So that's yeah. good. Actually, I had already moved it off my phone by this point, so I feel pretty good about that. Okay, so it's not going directly to the, the secret Yeah, line, yeah. But... I, I finally actually looked at the settings of this thing I set up, and uh, it is now the do not disturb is on. It will go straight to voicemail. And your text messages will go to our email account. So yeah. we will we will see them. They just won't be coming to our phones directly. I would love to see, you know, a life a day in the life of David Woods. Like what he like sometimes he's on his phone, he's looking at it, responding to things. Other times, I don't know if it's just he throws throws the phone away, he just doesn't care about it. Like it just <laughs> it just depends on what part of the day it is, I think. You can catch Dave. On a, you know, <laughs> whatever his medications are kicking, I don't know. It's something. There's 
<laughs> so there's a... some days. Sometimes I am looking at my phone, responding to something on Twitter. Somebody will text me, and I will not respond for several days <laughs> while I'm on the phone looking at it. And it's 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 always something like in the moment that is not something I can get to right then. And I I, I think few, uh, past me has a better impression of future me's memory than uh, than is necessarily warranted. And so I rarely, if ever, remember to actually respond when I say, I'm going to put a mental uh, mental pin in that. Never happens. That's hard. I mean, it is hard. Like, I usually try to keep it open or keep it up, like, in my email if I haven't responded yet. But then it'll kind of get further down. Texts are harder. If you don't respond right away, I always forget to go back and look. So I'm Well, always... clearly, clearly, Ryan, you have um, some adult, well-developed executive functioning skills <laughs> that I do not possess. <laughs> It's hard. it's hard be adulting, you know. <laughs> it's extremely hard. Harder for some than others. So today should be a pretty interesting show. We're going to get an update from across the Pac-12 spring football. And we did a show Wednesday, so we didn't get a ton of questions between now and then, but we got a couple of voicemails to play. But we wanted to make this more about spring football updates. And so it's a roll of the dice, and Dave did it this time where you, like, email the whole group and like, Hey, can everyone send uh, a voicemail and give us an update of the program you cover for spring football? We got, we got 11 out of 12. That's pretty good. That's miraculous. Yeah. Honestly, considering <laughs> I sent it like not a full 24 hours ago, I feel pretty good about the response rate. Yeah. And I was like, right before we got in here, I was literally in a chair at the red cross giving blood sending text to, to the like last five people or four people that did not do it so we were hounding them to the last second to, to admit they all everyone we texted they got back to us so that was good they stepped up it was big time um yeah so i think we'll do that uh we'll either start in the north or the south we'll let dave decide where we want to go we'll go through each program i'm going to try to take a couple notes dave you know some some spring notes from what's going on what you know colorado uh, they've been over for a couple of weeks at this point, and other programs like Oregon State just started up uh, fairly recently. So it's a pretty wide range here in the Pac-12. But I'm curious to see what uh, or hear what everyone has to say. Yeah, it, I'm I'm very excited. I say we start in the north. You want to start in the north? I say we we you know we we tend to start in the south because that's our bread and butter. But why not start in the north? Should should I lead off with Washington State since that's the one voicemail we didn't get? Yeah, why don't we go to Washington State Cougars? All right, so Washington State, we don't have an update, so I'm kind of calling this from news reports, but obviously the main big story here is how Washington State is going to cope um, first with the loss of Tyler Holinsky, who, as we've talked about, um, tragically committed suicide this offseason, um, and he was potentially going to start at quarterback Um this year, and they've got a number of people uh, vying for that spot this spring. And so far, it looks like it's a pretty even uh, competition. Um, redshirt sophomore. Oh my god! Did you hear that? No. What happened? I was. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm looking at news reports, and I get audio through my uh, through my. <laughs> speakers at the same time and i didn't know if it played over the mic so hey there you go no we didn't hear um, that that's good no I, that happens a lot like when you're because sometimes you're recording a podcast and you're uh multitasking or the person you're talking to might be going on a little long it happens too much so i, I shouldn't do that i try to mute those things but it happens 
autoplay is the worst thing in the entire world. Oh, I hate it. Um, so redshirt sophomore Trey Tinsley um, is in the competition. Uh, he's kind of the the guy who was on roster who's probably the most likely to uh, win a job. Uh, Camon Cooper, um, the freshman uh, quarterback, is uh, in for spring ball, and he's been performing fairly well. Um, they've also got a uh, transfer coming in from East Carolina. Let me pull up his name. Um, who's going to be coming in, I believe, for fall camp, Gardner Minshew. Um, he had committed to Alabama, but he's transferring into Washington State, um, and he'll also likely uh, compete for the starting quarterback spot. So they'll have a variety of options. Um, obviously, a lot of the storylines just through the early part of spring have just been about more just, you know, not having Holinsky there and, and what that's been like for the entire team and, how they're all kind of coping with it and just how nobody, nobody really saw it coming. And they're all kind of still looking for answers as people always do during those, um, sorts of tragedies. So, um, obviously it's a, it's a different kind of spring up there for, uh, for the Cougs, but they are, they are getting through it. I think they're about halfway through right now. The, um, you know, Cooper, I saw at the elite 11 and stuff. Um, you know, he seemed like, it was all right. Like USC was uh, recruiting him a little bit, but never. I, I don't know. I did. I think he's more of a project. I think it's going to take him a little while. You know, even though he's in there competing. Um, but having getting the transfer was it Eastern Washington, right? Is that where? Yeah, uh, East East Carolina. I'm sorry. sorry, East Carolina. Oh, Eastern Washington was the other guy. East Carolina. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I that seems a little bit more promising, or you can come in where it's not like you know what Oregon did. Obviously, there was. Uh, circumstances that led Washington state to be in this position, but seems like that might be the, at least the easiest route to try to, you know, replace Falk. Yeah. And Minshew's, I mean, he's not a, I mean, he's a, he's a player. Um, he had, uh, I think 16 touchdowns and seven interceptions last year, uh, threw for over 2000 yards. Um, looks like he started, looks like seven or eight games last year. So, uh, he can, he can definitely sling it a little bit. All right. Uh, well, Dave, great update on Washington State. Well, so there you go. Their spring game is April twenty eighth. Um, so they uh, they got a few more weeks left of spring fall. They just started uh, March twenty second. So uh, let's move. On. All right. So should we go to Washington Huskies? <laughs> and I believe we have. Chris Fetters, who called in, I will play the voicemail. Unless you want any words first, Dave. No, no, I want to hear from Fetters. All right, here we go. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, covering the University of Washington for the 24-7 Sports Network. And here to talk a little bit about Washington spring so far. We're literally halfway through spring. Um, Starting this coming Monday will be the, the start of the second half. And really, there's not a ton of, of real big news so far in terms of, you know, stuff that's going to really affect them in the fall. They're dealing with some injuries and some guys not playing, guys like Trey Adams, the left tackle, Chico McClatcher, the receiver, um, you know, a couple DBs and uh, Austin Joyner and Jordan Miller aren't playing. But, uh, you know, obviously a lot of guys behind them getting some playing time. Uh, one of the big storylines is at quarterback, you've got Jake Browning, but behind him you've got no one else uh, that's really had any playing time because – uh, Daniel Bridge-Gad has transferred to Northern Arizona. And so, 
team, you've got Jacob Eason coming in, obviously, too, from the University of Georgia, but uh, he's ineligible to play because of transfer, so um, they're they're not going to be able to use him. So Jake Hayner has been the guy that's really stepped up uh, in the in the absence to, to be Jake Browning's backup as a redshirt freshman. So um, obviously we'll be seeing what's going on with them because behind them they've got two true freshmen who enrolled early to play in uh, Jacob Sermon and Colson Yankoff. And then also, uh, you know, they're they're leaning on the veterans, guys like Jake Browning, uh, Miles Gaskin, running back as well. Uh, they're trying to find a replacement for Miles, uh, for Dante Pettis, obviously receiver. Guys like Ty Jones and Aaron Teller having good spring so far. And now on the offensive line, without Trey as a left tackle, you're bringing in guys like Henry Roberts, uh, Jared Goldberg playing the left tackle position. To see what's going on there? They're breaking in a new center. Because Coleman Shelton has graduated, so Nick Ferris has moved from right guard to center, and so they're dealing with some changes there. Uh, defensively, um, you know they lose Vita Vea, which obviously is a huge thing, but they they bring back great gains. That's a, that's a, that was a big plus for them. And then I think the biggest storyline so far on defense is the move of Tennis Bartlett as an outside linebacker moving inside because Washington lost three inside linebackers to graduation, so they're a little they're a little thin there. Uh, DJ Beavers and Brandon Wellington have not been really participating much in spring. So bringing Travis Bartlett inside to pair up with Ben Burkirvin has been probably the biggest storyline so far in spring. And then obviously, um, they're having to replace their place kicker, um, Tristan Viscano. So they've, they've had, uh, two guys, one Dan Soderberg and also, uh, Pete and Henry, uh, place kicker. We haven't seen too many kicks so far, but that's going to be a competition that's going to work its way all the way through fall. Kicker competition, Dave. That's always compelling in the spring. Yeah, you know, you know, a coach is really established when like kicker competitions even become like a topic of conversation in the off season. Like, there's nothing much new going on. Yeah, you've got some position battles and that sort of thing, but um, Washington's rolling. Um, so yeah, they've got to replace some guys. I mean, Vita Vea is not a guy you easily replace um, in talent or size. Uh, Dante Pettis is a tough guy to replace, um, but I mean this that that program is is in such good position right now. You have to feel pretty good about you know pretty much anything you're hearing out of spring, even with guys being a little bit dinged up and not being available. Yeah, and you get you know two elite eleven quarterbacks that co- that are able to participate in the spring. That's got to be fun to watch. Um, you know, you have an established quarterback, but not really anyone behind it after the transfer. And you know that Jacob Easton can't is not eligible, so I think a great it's a great opportunity for some of the young guys, and it always seems to help when quarterbacks come in early. They get those fifteen practices, and then they start working in the summer. It just seems like you're ahead of the game. It doesn't mean everything, but it certainly helps. And when you got two young guys, I mean, having both being able to compete, uh, that's nice. But you're right. This is a ro- this is a team that's rolling. You replace a guy here or there. Uh, you know, talking about losing some inside linebackers and things like that, but. We've seen Chris Peterson and his squad be able to replace high-profile, high NFL draft guys uh, and and not miss a beat. So, uh, are they they they're going to be the favorite for the North? You think, Dave? It's it's them or Stanford. Um, Stanford has um, they're kind of always in that in that you know conversation. I think they've you know if they have any healthy quarterbacks um over the summer then that'll be good you know if they have any scholarship quarterbacks available for the season that'll be good uh but i think stanford and washington are going to be the the cream at least at this juncture we'll see what happens and what shakes out towards the end of spring but nice 
All right. Well, yeah, I would agree. I think Washington's going to be the favorite, but um, you got you know Costello back. You got Bryce Love back. It's you know it's it could be a good Stanford team. So we'll see. Um, you never you can't count uh, you can't cut those count those guys out. But we'll talk about them in a little bit because now we're going to talk about Oregon Ducks. And here is the update. Hi, this is uh, Matt Prem from DuckTerritory.com. Kevin Wade told me uh, to give you guys a, a phone call about the update of uh, Oregon football. This past Saturday, the Oregon football program had their first scrimmage of spring football. It was up at Franklin High School up in the Portland, Oregon area. And it was basically what we would expect. Justin Herbert was on point in, in midseason form and clearly the best player on this team. The depth behind him, though, at quarterback position is it's still a concern from what it was last season. Uh, Braxton Burmeister and, and Tyler Shuck, uh, enro- early enrollee freshman quarterback, are still battling for the number two job. Doesn't look like either guy is really separated, and there's a clear difference between Herbert and the guys backing him up. In that scrimmage, Herbert threw three touchdowns, had a fourth wiped off the board because of a potential sack in a scrimmage, and then a fifth one was dropped in the end zone. His primary target in that scrimmage was Brendan Schooler, a converted safety from Last season, he played receiver for the first time during making the switch to, from safety to receiver during fall camp. And he was rough around the edges in 2017, but in the, in the scrimmage, he caught two touchdown passes. A third was wiped off, like I said, from a sack, and then he dropped a fourth. So he almost potentially had four touchdowns in a scrimmage, six foot two receiver as a junior. Uh, kind of developed a really good rep- repertoire with, with Justin Herbert. On the defensive side of the football, the Oregon defensive line was out as expected a, a group that was pretty solid last year looks to to have the pieces to be really good again this season behind senior Jalen Jelks and then sophomores Austin uh or excuse me Austin Fialo and and then uh sophomore Jordan Scott and then junior Gary Baker's a, a name that really popped during that scrimmage as well he had a couple big plays and he had a sack and then sophomore linebacker Keith Sims is going to be the wild card for this Oregon defensive linebacker crew because the last two seasons he's been hurt, has hardly played. Uh, but now that he's healthy, the former four-star had a sack, was all around the football during the entire time of the scrimmage and had probably six or seven tackles in a scrimmage that had about 80 plays. Sims was playing in the second-team defense, but you could really make a case that he, he stood out because he was going up against Oregon's uh, first-team offensive line. And uh, they'll resume practice this week. Spring game returns for Oregon April 21st inside Austin Stadium. Cool. Thanks, guys. That's great. We should uh, we should 100% uh, listen to these before we play them. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Just, you know, um, let them fly. That was, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Uh, thanks, Matt. Um, so how good do you think Justin Herbert's going to be this year, Ryan? Uh, I mean – I think the weight of that team is on his shoulders to say he's the best player on the team. I would agree with that, although I haven't been up there to check out spring football. Um, I think it's going to be it's really they're going to really depend on him. And I don't I don't think you have to worry about depth behind him. If he goes down, it's not going to be a great season. You're going to need what were the a seven six last year for the Ducks. Um, you know, you got a healthy Herbert. That's not the way it's going to go. They'll they'll beat some teams in the North um, that are you know, really good. Uh, they can contend, I think, for the North as long as Herbert's healthy. If not, I don't think you have to worry too much. It's not like you got someone that's anywhere close. To me, he's a special talent, Dave. I don't know what you think, but he really is. Yeah, I think he's going to be really good this year. Um, 
I mean, we'll see what that offense looks like, um, you know, with Cristobal and without Willie Taggart there, if it'll be a different look. Um, but, I mean, he improved a great deal last year, even though he sat out a bunch of the year with injury. Like, he looked poised for a huge year um, before he got hurt. Um, and uh, and I think he's going to build on that even more this year. Um, you know, I, he, he, he doesn't necessarily get credit for it, but he's – I mean, he's a pretty good runner, too. He yeah. moves pretty well, um, and he doesn't get enough credit for that, I don't think. Um, I guess people just kind of looking at him don't think so. I don't know why. Um, but he uh, he can run pretty well, and he's uh, he's obviously got a good arm. So, um, yeah, I think he could be really good this year. I think he's probably one of those, like, dark horse contenders for um, – maybe not even a dark horse contender, but a, a contender for uh, – probably that best quarterback in the Pac-12 title that now that uh, Darnold and, and Rosen have both moved on. And with the, you know, the, obviously the, the deep hatred and the rival between Oregon and Washington to both have established quarterbacks. I just think it makes it. They're both easily, both of them are easily top 10 <laughs> in the Pac-12 or actually I, I would, I would actually go so far as to say they're both now, with Jake Browning rounding into form as a senior, I think they're both now top eight I, in the Pac-12. I think that's fair. Uh, but is Herbert the best in the conference coming back? What do you think? I think there's a uh, there's a real chance. I mean, if you're looking at it, so Browning. Um, I mean, we've we've done that one to death. I don't think he. I think Herbert's better. Yes. Um, uh, who, I don't. Who, who is Oregon State? We'll, we'll hear about Oregon State in a little bit. Um, I don't think Stanford. I don't think Cal. Um, you know, Tyler Huntley showed something, but I don't think he showed anything, anything close to what Herbert's shown so far. Um, Steven Montez regressed last year. Khalil Tate, obviously, is yeah. the, uh, another major contender. Uh, Manny Wilkins will have that kind of senior leadership thing going on where maybe he steps up his game another notch. Uh, but I don't think UCLA is going to be in that conversation. I doubt very much USC is going to be in that conversation. Um, so is it is it between Justin Herbert and and Khalil Tate? I would. That's what I would and say. And I guess okay. All right. And fine. I hear the Washington fans screaming at me. Fine. Jake Browning can be in there as a senior. Maybe he steps up. But no, it's, he's not. Uh, Jake Browning. No, no, he's not in there. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he like offensive player of the year, like just as recently as two years ago? Yes, he was. But okay. So like you could make an argument for if you just want a quarterback and you want to put him on your team. Um, I don't think anyone wouldn't take Herbert or uh, Tate. I would at this point, like, I don't, I don't yeah, think. You're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're looking at like just tools and, and who you want in terms of arm strength, in terms of ability to make all the throws in terms of you know all that kind of stuff yeah i think there's probably at least two guys you're taking ahead of browning out of this group yeah jake i mean jake browning works at, at washington like don't you know he it definitely does work but if chris peterson could have put justin herbert there instead i think that would be better like i'm you know may, maybe not a khalil take because it's a different sort of system and all that kind of stuff but you put herbert in the washington system i think they're a better team yeah i agree um but all right so should we move on to the Beavs? Let's do it. Oregon State Beavers. Let's see uh, how positive Angie is. You know, it's uh, it's tough when your team's one at eleven the previous year. You know, uh, but she always finds a you know the silver lining. There's a there's a ray of sunshine somewhere, 
And hopefully Angie finds it here in this update. Hi, this is Angie Machado with BeaverBlitz.com covering Oregon State. Uh, spring camp just kicked off last week for Oregon State. The big storylines right now is quarterback and running back as Oregon State needs to replace Ryan Nall, who declared early for the NFL draft, and Thomas Tyner, who is not returning for a six-year eligibility. Also at quarterback, Jake Luton has returned uh, from a spine fracture and uh, is looking to uh, make a push and beat out JUCO transfer Jack Coletto. Also, the big news at Oregon State is a new football coaching staff as Jonathan Smith, a former football quarterback star at Oregon State, has returned to his alma mater as the head coach, replacing Gary Anderson, who quit the program midseason last year. Jonathan Smith has amassed a good staff, including former Oregon State coach Mike Riley, who coaches tight ends. The Beavers have a lot of energy and enthusiasm this first week of practice, and we've seen lots of former players arriving at practice, including former New England Patriot and current and L.A. Ram, Brandon Cooks, who was here on Saturday. Stay tuned to Beaver Blitz for all your Oregon State news. Short right, and sweet. Stuff from Angie. Angie. Yeah, short and sweet. I, we love it when Angie calls in. It's, it's, it's amazing. Honestly, I wish, I wish we could all emulate her more. This podcast would be 20 minutes long. <laughs> there would be so many good but concise nuggets of information. So, yeah, I mean, if you thought Oregon State wasn't, you know, too great last year, well, losing Ryan Nall, uh, losing Thomas Tyner, not going to help. Um, Jake Luton coming back is great, uh, but that quarterback competition is obviously uh, not ideal. Jack Coletto, I'm trying to find stats on him. He's from Arizona Western. Yes. His, his transfer, and if I'm looking at the right stuff, it's not like he was tearing it up. At Arizona Western, um, completion percentage under sixty percent. Um, yeah, just not not great. Not maybe maybe he'll work out, but um, doesn't look too great. So I think it's probably Jake Luton, uh, assuming he's fully healthy um, after that spinal injury. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if this is going to be the uh, the immediate. I don't think this is going to be an immediate quick fix turnaround at all. No, and I don't think when you make that kind of hire, I don't think that's what they were going for. Um, no. But, you know, you you have Oregon State people in there now. Uh, it feels like more of a family. I think they'll give them time to to build it up, and that's good. You know, you want to you want to give them an opportunity. You think it's the right guy? Let them let build this. You know, you got to – can't go 0-9 in, in conference. Um and so, yeah, in Angie's update, awesome. Like we 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 love it. It's good. I'm gonna miss Ryan Nall a lot. I it was quick. You know, I kind of probably know why it was quick, Dave, because like we said before, they're gonna do 15 practices between April 4th and April 28th. <laughs> so she probably didn't have a lot of time. She was probably running between one practice to another in between, and just had to like leave us a quick voicemail. So uh, right, it's almost like they have to do two a days. Like there's just not that many days between those two dates. <laughs> You I'm not sure the, the math tracks out there, but <laughs> it's uh, it's close to that. Definitely close. Uh, but yeah, I mean, UCLA used to do a pretty condensed spring ball, but now they spread it out over like two months, like seemingly everyone else is doing now. Um, but yeah, they they seem like they've condensed it to basically three and a half weeks, yeah. which is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I mean, for like in our business, I like it when it's spread out a little more because it, you know, there's like two months of content. You know, you can talk about spring football. If you pack it all in in three and a half weeks, it's like you can do some previews and then like boom, boom, practice, 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 and you're just 
you you kind of crush the site with content for three and a half weeks, but then there's really nothing after that. So it's rough. It's a little rougher on them if you have to, and and most of the spring practices appear to be open across the Pac-12, which is great. Um, most we're not not Arizona. We haven't got there yet, but yeah, we'll see. I this is gonna be this is gonna be like turning a, a barge. You know, it's not. It's not a speedboat, like, you know, switching directions. This is going to take a little while. Um, and I think they're going to give Jonathan, Jonathan Smith time up there. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, let's do some Bay Area schools, Dave. We'll go with California Golden Bears. And our man, Ryan Gorsey. Here you go. This is Ryan Gorsey, publisher of BearTerritory.net for 247 Sports, and I'm here to give you a little update on Cal Spring Football. The quarterback competition is moving up pace with Brandon McElwain showing up really well at the end of last week, humping a pass over a deep safety for a touchdown to Demetrius Robertson. Ross Bowers also has been very impressive. The incumbent starter from last season really has a grip and a command on the offense to the point where he's making little screwdriver adjustments to routes and receivers during routes on air, as well as during one-on-ones. They've both been very impressive, and I'd be really surprised if neither one of those two winds up being the starter when Cal opens next season. In terms of other impressive players, uh, Lone Toailoa, uh, sort of an outside linebacker, edge defender type, has been all over the place. He's got a high motor. He's going to be an impact player on the defensive line next season. And then there's Siu Fuimaono. He's got a name that's hard to spell, even harder to pronounce, but he's been very impressive. He registered last season after playing uh, his high school ball in Japan. He's going to be an absolute load on the inside. Cal's defensive backs, very impressive. They've been breaking up passes all over the place. The young defensive back core is really coming in to its own. As they become sophomores and juniors, that secondary may be what, what stands out among every unit, every unit for the Golden Bears. They're still looking for a kicker. Punter is going to be uh, Louisiana Lafayette transfer Stephen Coots. He's been very impressive as well with 3.8 to 4.5 second hang time. That's the latest from Cal Football Spring Practice for 247 Sports and BearTerritory.net. This is Ryan Gorsey. We got putter hang times. That's, that's detail, man. That was incredible, and that that was that was that was phenomenal. That was I've really good by Gorsi. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um. All right. So that quarterback competition is uh, so Brandon McElwain. If you didn't know that name, he is a transfer who came in last off season from South Carolina, um, and he had actually started some games at South Carolina. If I'm looking at the right stuff, and this was, I believe, as a true freshman, he started at South Carolina. Um, did okay um but didn't start the last half of the year not entirely sure why but then he transferred to cal um and so that's why you're hearing about a competition even though ross bowers was certainly not bad last year uh but that's why you're hearing about a quarterback competition because they did have this transfer come in who started as a true freshman in the sec um so that'll be interesting i actually liked what i saw for ross bowers last year obviously not the most armed talent in the world but certainly uh plays with uh with with some leadership and some edge to him. Um, so we'll see how that goes. D- does that sound like a team that's poised for 10 and two to you? Okay. Not 10 and two, but Ross Bowers can flip into the end zone, which, you know, you like that. You like that's seeing good, that. That's good for at least three wins to me. <laughs> he didn't, did he, did I, did I miss it? Did he mention Chase Garbers 
Um, I don't believe he did. Okay, so that was the redshirt freshman. I guess he was going to be in the competition, but sounds like from that update, it's Ross Bowers versus uh, McElwain, Brandon McElwain, uh, which kind of you probably would expect that too. But um, no, maybe not 10 and 2, but I, I think it's encourage, encouraging to hear about, you know, unpronounceable names on the defense, but guys that are end up doing well. Um, and Tim DeRuiter, uh, you know, I think he's a really good defensive mind. Uh, Justin Wilcox is a defensive coach. Um, you kind of expect this team to have a pretty good defense going forward as they build it, you know, and and having like a young secondary that we saw last year be a little bit more mature. Um, yeah, I, I think they can beat some people and win some games. We'll see what the offense and stuff looks like, but uh, I, I kind of expect this this team to have a, a better defense and, a, and a, an improving defense. Um, and you know, you can do that. There's not as many like stout defenses in the Pac-12. You can you can win some games just on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I think I'm fairly bullish on Cal. Obviously, not ten and two bullish, though. Who knows? Um, I think I like them to at least flip their record because they were five and seven last year, but it wasn't like they were pretty close to being six and six or seven and five last year. Yeah. They, they lost some close games. Um, getting Demetrius Robertson back is great. Um, having some continuity at the quarterback position or having a guy who beat out your continuity at the quarterback position is always a good thing. Um, so I, I like their chances to bounce, um, upward. I, I think eight and four is probably on the table. Um, their non-conference schedule isn't too demanding. Um, they have to play UNC, but this year at home and they, I think, did they win that game on the road last year, or did they narrowly lose it? I can't remember. Uh, they, let me look it up. I think they quick. won, didn't they? Yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, they, they beat North Carolina last year on the road. They get them at home this year. North yeah. Carolina is not going to be vastly improved. Uh, they got to go on the road at BYU, but then they play Idaho State at home. So minimum of 2-1 and one in the non-con, and then it would just be a matter of, you know, going 5-4, going 6-3 and, four, six and three in conference, which it's... Uh, it's probably out there. Like they could probably do that. Um, they avoid ASU. They get Arizona, which isn't probably ideal this year. Um, but they get Colorado and avoid Utah. So that is pretty good. Yeah. So uh, if they, if they play really well, I think six and three in conferences is, is, is certainly on the table. Um, five and four, and maybe they, maybe they sweep the non-con, but yeah, I think eight and four is out there. I think this is a team, too, that you could see improvement, like I said, especially on the defensive side of the football. And maybe they don't win some of those games, but they're very competitive. And it's a 6-6, six and 5-7 six, and seven team. You could feel pretty good about it. It's, not, it's improving on the record side, but also you feel like they're building something and getting better there. It's a, it's a young head coach. You see improvement year one, year two. I, I think Cal fans shouldn't be disappointed if they don't get up to – you know, eight or nine wins or something, but you could still be better and you could still see the plan kind of coming together um, from, from Justin Wilcox. So I, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on these guys too, even though maybe the record's not going to be, it could be maybe a little bit better. Maybe you lose a game or two that they really could have won and don't, but I'm not going to ding them too much if that happens. Yeah, I agree. I think that's fair. Uh, let's see. Should we go to, oh yeah, it's the last team in the North. Stanford Cardinal. And here's our update from our buddy, R.J. Abadia. The Stanford Cardinal is in the midst of its second two-week practice session. 
of spring football, and the theme remains essentially survival. The Cardinal has been hit with injuries at virtually every position group at this point and is really just looking to get through this spring intact. Um, the plus side of all the injuries, if you want to call it a plus side, is that a number of younger players have gotten a chance to get some experience and get some reps that they normally wouldn't have. Uh, one of the early defensive standouts in the secondary is Paulson Adebo, who is going to be a sophomore this year. Um, the Stanford coaches are really, really impressed with him. And, of course, talking about Adebo as a corner brings up Elijah Holder, who was injured for the second straight season this past season and is not participating in spring ball as well. The quarterback situation remains the same. Walk-on Jack Richardson is the only quarterback on the roster. K.J. Costello and Davis Mills, on last report from head coach David Shaw, are still expected to be available at the start of fall camp or and, and certainly at the start of the season for the Cardinals. So that's the latest on the Stanford Cardinals. For the bootleg, I'm R.J. Abadia. Hmm. Well, that's I'm- not it's just uh, it's it's just not great because first look all right so already spring football is kind of i mean let's just i mean we're making a big show about it so i'm not going to say it i'll just whisper it it's worthless <laughs> and when you don't even have the quarterbacks available it's just extra worthless and it's just just not ideal i want to hear that report about what jack richardson looks like you know i want to hear how good is that walk on slinging it yeah. right now how much arm talent, like how, you know, is he just, exactly. can he make all the throws? Can he get that, you know, out to the other side of the field, uh, get it there before the DB closes in? Can he do those kind of things? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get an update on that. I don't, I wouldn't say it's worthless. I think there's a lot of good opportunities, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, if I, I would, this is probably not a good analogy since I was never in a fraternity, but like if you're in a fraternity and you're like a sophomore and it's like rush, you're like, you're all into it. You're doing all the things you got to do. By the time you're a senior, do you really give a crap and you're not really getting involved in that kind of stuff? I think for the older players, especially on a veteran coach team, like a David Shaw team in Stanford, it doesn't matter that much anyway. I think for like, uh, you know, if you're talking about uh, you're at Oregon State, and you're Jonathan Smith, it probably means a lot. You want to figure out what the, what you have and all that kind of stuff. But for a David Shaw coach team and and some veterans coming back, you probably don't need to see them uh, at all. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of KJ Costello. Do you need Bryce Love out there? Back? No, you don't need any of that stuff. So I think for Stanford, it probably doesn't matter all that much. Um, you know, for other teams, maybe some more. But, yeah, if, if it's the point where you only have one quarterback as a walk-on, um, I mean, I don't know. Would you just go out there and do some conditioning <laughs> drills and throw the football around, and that's about it? Yeah, I mean, if I was a Stanford fan, I'd be a little like a little concerned because it's not an ideal situation, right? And so, unless it was actually because, all right, yeah, if it's just a a minor wear and tear injury where he could play on it, but you're just like holding him out for spring, I can see that. But would you really do that with both of your? like top quarterbacks to the point where you only have a walk on available for spring. That seems like it's hard. That's hard for me to fathom. So it must be that those injuries are both relatively serious enough that they're keeping them out for spring. Right. Yeah. Costello's I believe was a hip injury and Davis Mills, I believe was a knee injury. Um, And hips and knees, not, 
not the best injuries for a quarterback. Um, like obviously rotator cuffs, probably the worst, but, um, when you're, you know, when you have leg injuries as a quarterback, you're kind of, uh, that's messing with your base. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to hear about the progress of that. If they are available at the start of fall camp, because I can remember, was it just last year? Or was it the year before where, no, it was probably before that. I think it was Kevin Hogan, one of his years where he was out for much of the off season. And I think David Shaw kept saying, Oh, he's going to be ready. He's going to be ready. And then he wasn't ready until the second game of the year. Something like that. Yeah, Third that game was, of the year. Maybe that was three years ago. We'll have to ask RJ, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. There was one year where it was like that. So I, he's never been, I think uh super, um, uh, uh, expansive with announcing injury updates. So, no, um, <laughs> I'm in, I'm interested to see exactly what this looks like in summer and then into August camp, because, um, I don't think he would be keeping them out of spring unless they were relatively, um, you know, relative, and I, I'm not saying serious, but relatively serious to the point where they're keeping them out for four weeks. Yeah. That's, you feel bad at that point. It's like, yeah, if you're just going through the motions, like what is the point, but you get, there's young guys, uh, that you can, they can show a little bit what they can do. I don't know how important all the film is going to be from it. I, it's just, it's just really hard. To, it's such a quarterback centric sport to not have any is going to make it really hard to do a lot of football stuff uh, when you're out there. Uh, should, we, should we go to the south? Let's jump to the south. All right. I think I'm going to start with Colorado Buffalo. The team that's near and dear to David Woods' heart, and we'll get our update from Adam Munster-Tiger. Hi, guys. Colorado wrapped up spring ball more than two weeks ago, so not a lot to add to my previous report on your podcast. A couple of the main <laughs> takeaways this spring. Uh, the Buffs receiving corp should be better than uh, it was in 2017. Despite losing three seniors, Colorado, Colorado has three players that have flashed NFL potential ready to step up at receiver and Savvy slot receiver Jay McIntyre returns for his senior season. Uh, five of the ten players Mike McIntyre mentioned as showing the most improvement this spring were offensive linemen, uh, so definitely encouraging for that unit, but the Buffs' defensive line remains a big question mark. That was really the unit that got bullied off the line of scrimmage last year, kept them you know, really from going to a bowl game in 2017. And then last week, Dante Sparacco announced his intention to transfer out of the program. It was really the first piece of bad attrition to, to hit Colorado this offseason. Sparacco started out spring ball with the first team defense and would have battled for a starting outside linebacker spot during camp. He plans to transfer to Montana State, his father's alma mater. This has been Adam Munster Tiger reporting for BuffStampede.com. That's an odd transfer then. To Montana State. Yeah. Maybe for family reasons. That's what he said, his father's alma mater, but I don't I don't know. I'm not I'll have to look into that one a little bit more. That's that's kind of interesting. You don't want to see kind of attrition like that. Especially if it's a penciled-in starter, you know, someone that you know is going to be there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that seems a little, little interesting. Um, uh, yeah, so, I'll, I'll uh, that a little bit. yeah, Colorado's been done for a while. We've already heard uh, quite a bit from uh, Adam in our last show about it. Um, certainly is nice if they, you know, what a coach says about his team is sometimes not entirely reality, but if he's talking up offensive linemen, that that's probably a good sign. That probably means good things. Um, Steven Montez will be doing a little bit less running for his life this year. Um, so that's all good. And, and getting some, you know, 
some top receivers and you know Jay McIntyre I'm never a huge fan of the old uh, nepotism kick but he was actually pretty good um last year I liked watching him so um that receiving core could be a, a pretty good outlet this year for Montez it's interesting too to have some big name seniors leaving at wide receiver and then saying they're going to be better now um with guys with NFL potential so that's I, I think that's hard to say, but you know, who would they lose? It was uh Shea Fields. Um I'm trying to think of who else was on there. Did Bryce Bobo leave? Was that that was like was that two years ago? Crap. My brain is mush. No, so. Bryce Bobo was last year. He and he graduated, so he's gone. Okay. Um so Shea Fields as well. And then Wow, our brains are mush. That's okay. But then to have, you know, some younger guys where you feel they're going to be better, that's, you know, that's saying something. So I think the offense has to look, it has to look better. Um, they, you know, you can play well on defense and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, not having Philip Lindsay, that's going to be, uh, it's going to be tougher. But I, I think with Montez being, another, you know, a year older, he's got to step up and just be the guy. And sometimes you're going to have a, you know, there's going to be some drop balls or receivers aren't going to play that well. And you just have to like make it work as a quarterback. So I think if he can do that, then you, they can definitely make some noise. But the way they were playing last year, it just, there was a lot more miss than hit, you know? And uh, I think you got to increase that hit rate, but they have, I think they have the talent to do it. We'll just see if they're able to, especially if like Adam said, the offensive line is going to be better. Yeah. And that, that should pay dividends with Montez too. I mean, he obviously didn't, played nearly as well last year as he did in relief um, the previous year, but uh, still got a lot of talent. Um, he apparently had a pretty good spring. Uh, we heard that from from Adam, but also uh, many reports confirm that. So we'll see if he's ready to uh, kind of get back to where he was relieving uh, Cepho Lufau two years ago. So I end up watching. Uh, I I uh, recorded the spring showcase and watched mm-hmm. a lot of that. It was It was pretty interesting. Um, it don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to the people out there. <laughs> it was I'm a spring lying. game. It, Ralphie, they're never interesting. They're they're at best tolerable. They had uh, tryouts for Ralphie. Um, wow. Okay. Now you're upping it. Now okay. You're, now you're getting it beyond tolerable. Now it's getting into okay. This is mildly pleasant. So people like students like running really fast next to a wild buffalo. Um, that's that was fun. Ralphie looked pretty sharp. Cool. Um, okay. So the. The the wide receiver they were featuring, I hope I it's Lavisca Chenault. 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 Yeah. He looked good. Um he's a sophomore. So yeah, they you know, three great receivers gone, but they they like some of the younger guys that were coming in. They got the kicker and punter back. Um I didn't it didn't look like they were everyone was on the same page as far as quarterbacks and wide receivers go. Uh even then the drills like throwing against air. So I don't know what was up with that. Um Montez did have back to back interceptions at one point. That's um, that wasn't that good. I wasn't really impressed, you know, our Pac-12, we love the Pac-12 network, but Jeremy Bloom, uh, who played at Colorado, it just, it was a little iffy, his performance for me. Um, and then Montez did have a nice TD run in overtime and he dunked on the goalpost. So that, that was my report from the spring showcase. So you weren't, you weren't a big fan of Jeremy Bloom? No, I've never met him or anything. It's not like I know him, but it just, uh, it, it just wasn't. It just wasn't all that great. I didn't think he did all that well. Talk to me about it. Was it was it like <laughs> was it this is what was you're it homerism? In? Was there some homerism? Like what are we talking about? Uh it just seemed it didn't seem to flow all that well. Um oh, okay. 
And yeah, it, I don't think it was like he was just being a blatant homer or anything, but it just it wasn't all that informative. Sometimes you get a former player, and I don't know if they're still trying to be reserved because they're talking like a player's talk of the media, where you just want to you just want them to share some insights. Show tell me something I don't know, and I just didn't get that a lot. So yeah, you almost I think you have to be like uh, I don't know like a decade out. Like, unless you're a pro, like, I guess Tony Romo was really good on telecast this year, and he's only, what, a year or two out of his yeah. uh, NFL career. But I think at the college level, because so many of these guys, like, <laughs> so many of them develop, like, some real animosity, not animosity, but just, like, not wanting to speak to the media um, by the time they're done with their college careers, that it then is, like, I don't know, I think it, I, I can imagine it being tough to switch gears into being that person after. Uh, being kind of opposed to that person for a very long time. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, as a player, like if you've ever taken a lesson from somebody that's like really good at some sport, sometimes they're very good at teaching, and sometimes they were just like, they it just came natural to them, and they don't know how to tell you to do what they did. You know, they're just like, oh, do this. You know, they don't know. Um, I think sometimes you don't realize what you know from being in the program that other people don't, and you have to express that and like let them know, like, Okay, you know, here's something that we would do. Here's behind the scenes. Here's what how it works. Because the average person that hasn't been in a locker room and put on pads every day and gone and run out in the practice field knows those kind of things. So I just didn't get that from from him. So hope, I'm not hopefully I'm not being too harsh, but that was my that was my take. Okay, all right. We got is that the only spring is that the only spring game right? Like there hasn't been another. I one don't yet? think there's been another one. Yeah. So I think I got to set my DVR and we got to watch some of these. Um, maybe we shouldn't, but I think I'll try. Uh, well, you know, give you a little something here on the podcast. That was CFS. great. No, I liked getting a little announcer update. You know, Jeremy Bloom has been with the Pac-12 since 2012. He has? Who knew? So it's not like... <laughs> no, seriously, who knew out there? I Let did me not know. know that. I did not know. Because he was the guy that had the controversy with, he was a professional skier and one of the, it was in the yeah, Olympics and all that yeah. stuff. And Well, and I apparently thought that was much more recent than it was. I... He He was like done in college in 2006. I don't know what. What? Wow! I know this is crazy to me. That's okay. Yeah, no. I when you said recent, I would have assumed it was in the last like five years or something, but it was not. Okay. No, I thought he was. I thought he was relatively recent, but no, he's uh, he's he's been he's been done forever. He's so, been done forever, and he's been doing this forever. If they replay it, Dave, I want you to watch, and then you tell me <laughs> if I'm full of crap or not. Like, no, he was actually really good. You are just a hater or whatever. So I'm gonna watch every second of it now. Okay. Because now I'm intrigued. Now there's something for me to sink my teeth into. <laughs> uh, so there should be spring games this weekend, I believe, like Friday and a couple Saturday, uh, or at least something spring. Like USC is not really having a game per se, but they'll they'll have an hour broadcast on the Pac-12 Network. So I got to remember to set my DVR. So if you went out there, watch your, you know, if you want to watch those, set your DVRs if you get the Pac-12 Network. Um, okay, next up we have Utah Utes. And here is our update. Hi, this is Dan Sorensen of UteZone.com, and I'm calling in to give you an update on Utah football spring. Uh, so this week, Utah kicks off their final week of spring football. The Utes are coming off their second scrimmage of the spring, which happened on a rainy Saturday. Uh, the offense, which was led by Tyler Huntley, was dominant throughout the day. Uh, Huntley's really had a strong spring. He's shown that he's building on what was an up-and-down season as a first-year starter last year. Uh, he's got a grasp of the offense. Uh, he's showing leadership that we haven't seen from him in the past. And if he can stay healthy, 
Uh, it looks like he's going to have the ability to uh, to use this spring to have a solid fall. Uh, the, on, uh, also, on the developments on the offensive side of the ball, the Utah receiver core looks like they've arguably had the best spring of any of the position groups. Uh, that's a great development for the Utes, considering the fact they lost their two top receiving threats from last season in Darren Carrington and Raylon Singleton, uh, COC Mariner and Damari Simpkins. Uh, both of them, they uh, have looked really strong this spring. They look like they're poised to have breakout seasons based on the fact that you know they got significant reps last year and they've had strong springs. Uh, the uh, the Utah offensive line, they're definitely a work in progress. Uh, so, uh, I think that's probably the biggest weakness of the offense coming out of spring so far. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, defense looks really strong, as you would expect from a Utah defense. Uh, uh, senior Chase Hansen looks like he successfully made the transition from safety to linebacker. He was a starter at strong safety last year. He'll be a linebacker this year. That's going to put him in a position to be one of Utah's top defensive playmakers. The secondary looks strong. Uh, once again, even though they've got several players that are out, including Jalen Johnson, who hasn't participated at all this spring, um, Julian Blackman is Utah's top cornerback. He's had a fantastic spring, and he was a second-team all-conference performer last year, so looks like he's going to have another solid year. Defensive line, once again, it looks stout, despite the fact they lost three players to graduation. Uh, the standouts there are junior defensive tackle Lecky Fotu and junior defensive end Bradley Anai. Uh, both of them have had really strong springs springs and looks like they're going to be the leaders uh, going forward. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, feel free to give me a call if you have or need any other information. Thanks. Should we give out his number so everyone can give him a call? <laughs> uh, good stuff, Dan. Um, that, was, that was a wealth of information. I'm most excited, obviously, about Tyler Huntley, who I've been uh, very excited about basically since about the first or second game of last season when I first saw him. Uh, back before anybody was watching Utah, because I think they had a garbage non-conference schedule last year. Um, but he's uh, if if he's stepped up his game and if he can, you know, really kick the injury bug that hampered him last year, uh, like we were saying earlier, I think he's going to be, um, you know, potentially in that conversation uh, for top QB in the Pac-12. Uh, but it's going to require him staying healthy for 12 games, um, which he wasn't able to do last year. And uh Hopefully he's put some weight on. I think we heard that in a previous update that he's put on about like five, 10 pounds. So that's good. Um, and gotten a little bit stronger. Um, and uh, hopefully that'll put him in good position to make it through the entire year. Yeah. And uh, it's nicely showing improved leadership. Um, and the fact that the offense has been dominant in scrimmages against what is always a very strong defense and what, you know, typically in spring defenses are ahead of offenses. So that could, mean a lot you know and in losing a Darren Carrington a couple you know senior receivers and having the receiver group still look good we've heard that before I I don't know maybe just young receivers stepping in that's a positive uh trend here I I think if this Utah offense can can be dynamic um the defense should be really good uh they can make a lot of noise in the Pac-12 South seven and six last year three and six in conference so that's certainly got to get better and and I think they got the potential too because the South can be kind of a mess this year, and uh, I, I got to see uh, Troy Williams uh, last week. He was he came to USC's like uh, makeup pro day. Uh, Ronald Jones and uh, Deontay Burnett, who didn't really get to do anything at the combine or USC's pro day, they had like a separate one. About 15 teams showed up, 
and Sam Darnold through to Ronald Jones, but Troy Williams came out. They work out at the same uh, facility, and he threw to uh, Deontay Burnett. Oh, cool. Yeah, so you had uh, guard, I mean, uh, Narbonne throwing to Sarah. But, yeah, we got to see him like, who's – oh, that's Troy Williams. So um, we had a Troy Williams sighting. We'll see how he does. I don't know yeah. – he wasn't at the combine, but I think he threw at the Utah Pro Day, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get in a training camp, um, but then it's you know just a question of if he can stick. But um, yeah, the receiving thing is always funny in spring. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's always like this always happened at UCLA during spring ball, where like just some random walk on would just be killing it at receiver <laughs> in spring, and I think it's because. These guys are going against each other all the time. And so, like, I don't know, receivers with kind of, um, you know, who can do like a bunch of veteran moves and, and those sorts of things, I think can get, you know, the best of even some top talent at corner during spring because they're so used to, they're just so used to the way each, like each other plays. And I think this happens too, where like walk on cornerbacks will suddenly shine too because they're so used to the tendencies of the player they're going against. That you almost have to take it all with a grain of salt because yeah. it's so just competitive against each other. I, you know, when I look at like evaluations from the spring, I think quarterback you can generally take. You you generally have a pretty good idea. You you know when a running back looks more explosive than they did before. You know when a linebacker is starting to really the game's really slowed down for him because he's suddenly just everywhere making plays. But beyond that, it's really tough. Um, like you can see if a receiver's more explosive, but whether he's going to catch eighty balls or twenty is so hard to know yeah. um, because you're not seeing him against, you know, just a, a cornerback who only sees him once a year. You're seeing him against, you know, whatever the first string cornerback who has seen him every play, and you know, and he's seen him every play. So it's always interesting to see this, but um, we'll see how it turns out. I can't imagine any situation where you're losing Darren Carrington is going to make your receiving core better. Right. Um, and the same way that Colorado, I doubt the receiving core is going to be better. Um, but if they're even as good, that'll be uh, that'll be pretty solid. It's funny. One of the drawbacks of having open practices, like if you're going to practice and fans go, and then someone go like, say someone goes on bro and is like, dude, you should see this uh, number nineteen. He's five seven, white. Uh, receiver, but man, he's so good, and he made all these catches and stuff. You're like, yeah, he's never gonna play. Like, don't worry about him. <laughs> but they're like, but man, did you see that? He's definitely gonna be. I'm like, no, he's he's not going to play. Like, you just. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll have to say things like that. Sometimes. But but the the crazy part was at UCLA, and I don't know if this effect has ever happened to to you at USC. Is the coaches start to buy into it sometimes? Like when they see some guy who's you know a marginal talent or a walk on level talent, but. So most guys are generally going at about 70 or 80 percent practice if they're good, like they're going at 70 or 80 percent, which is pretty good, you know, but they're not going all out. They're not like trying to kill themselves in practice. Meanwhile, there's other guys who that's their time to shine. That's their time to win a spot. And they're going 110 percent and they're given everything they have. And I think some coaches, if they're not really, um, I don't know, nuanced observers of the human condition. I think they look at it and they're just like, "Oh, that guy looks better than those guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play him more." And UCLA got got hit by this a few times over the years, especially <laughs> with Mora, um, where they would they would be playing a guy for the first three or four games of the year way too much because he'd just been so dominant in practice. 
That's funny. Um, and I don't want to disparage anyone that's a walk on. Like, we no, see- I'm not. I'm not using names because I, you know, they're, they're they try hard, and that's what they're supposed yeah. to do. And sometimes you get in. You know, I think. Um, I mean, there's there's lots of famous walk ons that end up. Uh, I mean, Luke Falk was a walk on at, at Washington State. You know, sure. Or, um, I, Matt was a guy, Matt Lopes, who's actually the son of like the associate athletic director, who uh, you know, a, a shorter white safety. But he ended up playing a bunch last year. He ended up getting a scholarship too, and uh, he was very productive when he came in. No, he didn't get a combine invite or anything, but he performed pretty well at the pro day. Like his numbers were similar. Oh to yeah, some and other don't guys. get me wrong. A lot of uh, there's a lot of walk-on success stories. Yeah, and I'm not even talking necessarily about walk-ons. I'm talking about sometimes scholarship guys who you see them once they're in school, and you're like, oh yeah, he should never play. <laughs> um, but because they. You know, they're just those types of guys who just are going 110 percent all the time in practice. And it takes a while for it to sink in that that's not happening in games. Yeah. I think sometimes for coaches. Nice. Uh, let's go. Let's want to do Arizona schools. Let's do it. Our buddy Herm. Let's go there. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and then Chris Cartman has the has the update. Here you go. Chris Cartman, some of the stories here talking about ASU spring football. These guys are almost done. Three practices left. Uh, all the sessions have been open in full to media. It's been wonderful. It's been a change of pace for us. Uh, practices have taken on a more relaxed atmosphere under Herm Edwards. Still a lot of structure. Uh, organizationally, really not a whole lot different in terms of the periods and, and whatnot, but um, just a little bit more relaxed atmosphere out there. Uh, there's a lot of change going on. Defensively, the scheme is a lot different. This 3-3-5 is unlike anything I've really seen in the Pac-12 uh, to this point. Um, it's aggressive, and yet uh, they use a lot of zone coverages. Uh, they have this Tillman position, um, which is essentially kind of a hybrid safety linebacker. They're going to have to find someone to man that. Right now, I don't know that they have somebody who's really well situated to it. It's a very instinctual position that has to have a broad skill set. Uh, now, uh, the good news for ASU defensively is they have some pretty good talent up front and some depth, and they'll be able to rotate guys. Rennell Wren is you know, pretty much a physical specimen, 6'5", 300 pounds, and George Lee is very good up front as well. Uh, I think Karan Crump coming back is going to be a big boost for ASU. Uh, he's probably one of the top pass rushers in the league. And J.J. Wilson who switched from tight end uh, to linebacker last season is poised to have a, a breakout season. Now, on offense, things won't be quite as different. Manny Wilkins is the stabilizing uh, force that they have as a, a senior who's got two years of starting experience under his belt, uh, has, um, of course, Nikhil Harry, uh, one of the best weapons at wide receiver in the country uh, to help him in that in that vein. Kyle Williams, I think, is an emerging star. He had probably 60-some-odd catches last year, seven touchdowns, and, and he'll probably do even more this year. Uh, ASU has a Stanford transfer, Casey Tucker, coming in to man that left tackle spot. They'll be refreshed in the backfield, but I don't think they'll really miss a beat, to be honest. Um, it looks like a team that's still got a lot of work to do before the season, but I think a bowl season is, is certainly uh, within expectations. For for Chris Cartman. All right, great stuff from Chris. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think Nikhil Harry's probably uh, 
you know, with that late surge by Jordan Lasley, Lasley might have taken top receiver for me. Um, I know for the Pac-12, it was some nonsense but uh, in the league. But I think Nikhil Harry is probably my top re- returning receiver in the league. Um, I think he's really special. Um, I love J.J. Wilson. I loved him in high school. Do you remember watching him? Yeah. One of those kind of jumbo athletes who can just do basically everything pretty well. Um, and uh, he, uh, him playing at linebacker or tight end, but uh, linebacker, it sounds like he's going to have a breakout year. Um, and, uh, th- having practices open, that's, that's so great for, uh, for Chris and company. Um, sounds like Herm's doing the very much the right thing there. Um, so that's, that's very cool. The three, three, five, they're instituting. That is, um, from what I understand, that's very, I mean, cause Danny Gonzalez was the defensive, uh, was, a uh, on Rocky long staffs at University of New Mexico and San Diego State. Uh, that's going to be Rocky Long's very hyper-aggressive 3-3-5. Um, I know uh, UCLA fans are familiar with it from back when Rocky Long was the defensive coordinator at UCLA. Uh, but that's going to be fun. Um, that's uh, It's probably not quite the craziness of Todd Graham, but probably a little bit more structured, a little bit more sound, um, but still very, very aggressive. Um, so that'll give them an identity. Uh, certainly defensively. And then if Manny Wilkins can truly be that stabilizing force on offense and, you know, it doesn't get too crazy with our man Herm at the helm. Um, I mean, the, the pieces are there. Uh, I just don't know if the, if the coaching and leadership are, but I think the pieces are there for ASU to contend in the South. I just don't think they're necessarily going to do it. Yeah. I'm curious to see this, this defense. And I love when you make up a position name for something cool, like that some, Rover guy that can do whatever he wants. Like I forget what he what Cartman called it. Did you recall what he said? Tillman. It was? It's Tillman. The Tillman. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah. Like that's that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Roaming around three three five. No, obviously you have to be. There has to be a level of discipline there because it can look complicated where guys are coming from different spots and it's it, you know you can confuse an offense without an all out Todd Graham blitz. You can still bring pressure maybe. You know, some blocker is not blocking anybody because you know he expected to block this side, and no one's you know no one's rushing from that side. So, um, but you, there can be some breakdowns and stuff too. But you hope you know I think they can get it, and it's something that you can kind of look simple, and it. But it, I mean, you know, for for the people in it, but it looks complicated for the people on the other side of the ball. So that's I think that's the goal there. Um, you know, Manny Wilkins, I, I'm glad that the offense is not going to be that different. You want him to be that stabilizing force, and uh, like you said, I love the fact that there's open practices. I think that's great. Um, the relaxed atmosphere is interesting because I think sometimes NFL practices can be different than college practices where if you try to do more of an NFL style in college, eh, it, you know, there can be issues there because it's not like these are professionals that wake up and this is their job. Um, you kind of have to push college kids sometimes. So I'm curious to see what that, what results from that more, re- whatever the relaxed atmosphere means. Yeah, I, 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 I'm skeptical of that. Um, they are trying to run this like a pro organization in a lot of different ways, down to cutting guys. Um, so uh, this is this is definitely more of a pro. Uh, that would definitely be more of a pro attitude towards practice, you know, professional, but relaxed and just get your work done and that sort of thing. But my experience is like, the, the practices that are super high tempo, super high energy, super 
um, you know, music blaring, all that kind of stuff. Those are the the practices of teams that seem to to I don't know that it seemed to have done the best in in my experience. So we'll see on that. Uh, you know, one thing I forgot we didn't get an update from uh, Ryan Gorsey. Cal uh, announced a new athletic director today, Jim Dalton. Um, he was addressing the football team today, so I thought he would put that in his update. But that's I guess something we should mention before we go further further. I don't know anything about oh. him. I haven't looked it up, but um, that's been a while. We've been waiting for an athletic director for Cal, so they got one now. Um, he, uh, okay, yeah, you, that's for, cool. That's yeah. in the last uh, six hours. He's from Air Force. Okay. So that's an interesting fit. I would say, you know, Air Force is probably relatively similar academically. You know, you got to have some pretty good grades to get into Air oh, Force. Yeah. Got to have some pretty good grades to get into Cal, but I think Cal has a few more exceptions for athletics than Air Force probably does. Um, but that's an interesting fit. Yeah, I've I, I can't remember a military academy getting hired at a big public institution in athletics, but maybe the athletic directorships are not too different. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, you have like this button-down military thing and like a super liberal public institution. Like it seems pretty different, but. Maybe there's similar. There's a lot of similarities there too. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, very cool. Okay. Whoa. Sorry. I just got a little verklempt uh, there for a second. Sorry about that. Um, oh no, it's quite all right. Ryan gave blood. He gave of himself today, <laughs> and uh, and you know he's he's struggling under the weight of it. We all we all understand. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a it's weird. Like I'm not sure if I should even do this anymore. Like if. Let us know if you do. Do you ever give blood, Dave? Are you in that or not? No, 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 no. I never do. You don't like but helping I'm, people, I'm right? A, like, I'm, that's... An ex- I'm an extremely selfish person. Okay, yeah. Um, I do, but then I get upset when people are kind of incompetent. Like whenever you volunteer for things, it's just I still get bothered by like, really? Mm-hmm. Can't you can't you do this better? Like, come on. But um, if you do a double red, or they call it a, I, th- I forget what it is, super red or something like that. But it's basically it takes longer. It takes like. 40 minutes plus it took me a long time to even get in the seat and get going but they take out two pints of blood instead of one but they take out they uh uh take it they run it through a machine and they take out um the red blood cells and they leave what's rest and then they put some saline and they pump it back into you so you you give like a pint they fix it up and they put it back in there's a return so you get fluids back um and then they take another pint and they do the same thing so you don't have to give blood, but only once every four months if you do that because you're giving the double. But it takes significantly longer than if you just sit down and give a pint of blood. So, um, But you get free that cookies. Is, that is, sounds like some – I feel like my understanding of science and anatomy <laughs> and biology is entirely from like 1890. <laughs> like that sounds like some advanced alchemy nonsense vampirism like craziness to me. It's a little nutty. Um, they take the blood out of you. They take stuff out of the blood. They put the blood back in you. Yes. Like while you're there. That's I think that's why it takes longer. Um, but And I think it's supposed to be, I think you recover a little quicker, but you can't give again because you still lost two pints worth of red blood cells for four months instead of normally two. And if you if you haven't done it, I, you should, they, this is your project, Dave. Go give blood and tell me. The stuff that you have to do, like the the zillions of questions you have to answer, they ask you your name 
multiple times your gender. They like over and over, like they have all these checks and balances. There's like a million UPC stickers they put on things and they got to scan them. And I'll, I don't want to discourage it. You should give blood. I don't want to discourage it, but you just have to kind of know going in there that there's going to be all this rigmarole around what goes on before you can get blood. And have you been out of the country? Do you have this disease? Do you ever take that? Do you, I mean, there's like, if you had a tattoo, like it, there's all kinds of crazy stuff uh, that they ask you. Uh, yeah, I can't do the needles, man. Oh, really? So you're not it. a needle guy? I can't do it. Oh, can't all do right. it. I'm going to at some point, but I just can't. I can't think about it. Okay, so you're afraid of needles, or just like what? I, it's like something with like the elbow and the and that whole area and getting a needle in it. Just ah. So you'd be a horrible. It, makes, it like, makes me do that noise. It makes me go ah. <laughs> you'd be a horrible like heroin user. I am a. I would be a, <laughs> a tremendously awful heroin user. I'd have to go between my toes. I think. Oh. I'd have to. There's no other way. If you ever watch Intervention, they do that sometimes. It's crazy. Um, yeah, well. What, okay, what about it. if you go and you have to, to you have to give a blood sample? Like they, they, it's like the same thing. It's a sm- usually a smaller needle. It's just a quicker thing, but you still got to get stuck there. Do you? Wh- what happens then? I just go to the doctor like once every 15 years. <laughs> that's awesome. That's how I get. Ar- that's how I get around that. <laughs> You're a father of two. Like never. Go I'm to the a father doctor. of two. Yeah, I've got responsibilities <laughs> in life, and I am a child. <laughs> Nice. Well, if you don't like needles, I don't want it. But if you didn't, if you were just like lazy, I would just just go or any of our users go. If you haven't or listeners, um, it is there's a lot of crap you kind of have to go through to uh, all these questions, all this weird stuff. But anyway, yep. I don't know how we got on that tangent. Sorry about that. No, it was great. I loved it. Um, but yeah, go give blood. Uh, let's see. We the next the next one. We have three left. Arizona Wildcats. And here's our buddy Jason Shear. Hi, this is Jason Shear of WildcatAuthority.com, and Arizona spring game is coming up this Saturday. It's been an interesting spring because we've actually, from a media perspective, I think you guys have covered this, um, we've had, like, no access. We did get to watch a scrimmage um, the other day on Saturday, which was nice. Beyond that, we hadn't been able to watch anything besides the first 20 minutes of the first practice. We talked to only one coach um, every other day, so... It's been a, a unique spring practice, to say the least. Um, but we did get a pretty close look on Saturday at everything. And really, it, it's hard to tell. Um, they've changed some positions of guys. Anthony Mariscal was a safety. They moved him out running to running back. He actually had the biggest run of the scrimmage. Uh, you know, it, just really looking at everything, Khalil Tate is still clearly the best quarterback on the roster. I think the second and the third spots. Are, are wide open right now, and really there's not a quality option. I wouldn't be surprised uh, freshman Kevin Doyle came in and got the second spot pretty quickly. Um, offensively, the running backs are good. I think Nathan Telford is a guy that's going to have a big season for whatever reason. He didn't play much for Rich Rodriguez last year. Uh, this year, you could tell he's going to be maybe even the first back ahead of J.J. Taylor, but he's a guy where – they want him to run tougher, and pretty much the running backs coach, Clarence McKinney, said once he learns how to do that, uh, he's going to get a, a good amount of carries. Um, right now, the defense is ahead of the offense. That's not surprising. With Marcel Yates staying as defensive coordinator, the defense knows what it's going to be doing as opposed to the offense, which is basically learning uh, a whole new system. But, you know, I, I think the defense has quite a bit of talent. 
The one thing that stood out to me was the defensive line. Arizona went out and landed Mikey Irving and P.J. Johnson, who's a Juco guy. Johnson is already running with the ones. They had him taking a ton of reps, so he'll he'll be at defensive tackle. And then Mikey Irving got some solid reps, too. And the biggest thing that stands out about them is Arizona was running like a 240-pound defensive tackle last year. P.J. Johnson is pushing, pushing 300, same with Mikey Irving. So at the very least, Arizona will be bigger on the defensive line there should be some athleticism, a little more depth in the second day. Um, but, again, it, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I'm saying all that based off, like, an hour scrimmage. Um, but, you know, it, the spring game will give us another look. Um, it, it's fun. I, I think the coaching staff is much different than Rich Rodriguez's coaching staff. Uh, a lot less yelling, um, a lot more relaxed, it looks like, in the way they coach. And I think that the players seem to be really enjoying themselves. So we'll, we'll kind of see how things move. Uh, move forward, but right now that's where the Wildcats stand. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, defense is being ahead of the offense is, I think, more the rule than the exception um, in spring ball, especially. Um, just, it takes, I, I think it's just the rhythm. I think it takes a lot longer for offenses to get in sync because even switching out like a couple of starters, unless an offense is returning basically everybody, if you switch out even a receiver, or two receivers, or a couple of offensive linemen. So many things have to work in concert in terms of timing, in terms of just everything, that I think it just takes it takes a full spring of just kind of practicing, you know, doing things against actual players rather than on air, and then, you know, doing it again over the summer before fall camp, before offenses are even really ready to go. So that makes sense to me completely. Um. Yeah, it's uh, that's definitely more of the norm. So when you hear otherwise, it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting, especially in the Utah's case where you know it's not a, it's going to be a good defense. Um, having the same defensive system, I think that helps. It's interesting that they played a lot of young guys last year, and I like the way the defense developed. So you can, you know, keeping it the same, the continuity, you can build on that. But by upgrading the defensive line and not having like, uh, Hercules Mata'afa size guys having like 300 pound guys in the middle. That I mean, that should help a lot too. I would think. Um, but again, more relaxed. We're hearing the le- the less yelling, uh, more relaxed. Uh, so maybe the, the desert schools this year, there's going to more chill. So uh, I don't know. We'll see how that works out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, Arizona had I think among the most or maybe the most returning starters in the Pac-12. So to hear that some JUCO guys are breaking into the starting rotation, that's a really good sign yeah. because that means those guys are coming in and beating out, you know, potential starters um, at those positions. Um, so that's, that's, that's a good thing to hear. Um, that probably means um, good things for Arizona's defense, which I liked uh, stats did not show it to be very good last year, but I thought it showed some promise at times. It was not um, the disaster that it has been in previous years. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think somebody a few weeks ago told us not to talk up Arizona's potential South contender, but we're going to keep doing it. All yeah. right. That's what we yeah. do on this show. Someone Everyone in the Pac-12 is going to win 70% of their conference games. <laughs> you heard it here first, except Oregon State. What? I know. Poor Oregon State. Um, okay. So this was something that kind of stood out to me. I, I want to see this on the spring game. Um J.J. Taylor. So whenever you have a little running back, uh, you know, a diminutive running back, someone, and you try to toughen them up and, and run, like, that could be dangerous. Not not in a bad way, in a good way, where 
it's not just avoiding people, but they can break some tackles and stuff too. So I'm curious to see how that ends up because with you know Tate running on one side and JJ Taylor, if he's running tougher too, um, I think it could be a huge part uh, of that offense. So if if they're able to develop him and add a different dimension to his game, I think that just makes Tate all that more explosive and much more uh, effective of a quarterback. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what goes on there. Let's see. I'll, uh, I'm going to make you go first. So we're going to do the L.A. schools. UCLA Bruins. All right, so UCLA is uh, about halfway through now. Um, they did their first two weeks. Then they took a couple weeks off for spring break and finals for uh, winter quarter. And then they were back at it starting uh, at the beginning of last week. Um uh, the biggest note, I think I mentioned this last week, is that K.J. Carter-Samuels, who was expected to come in and compete uh, for the starting quarterback spot, instead decided to go to Colorado State, um, which you can read a couple of different ways. From all accounts, we've actually heard that he got into grad school at UCLA, but he liked his chances of starting better at Colorado State and playing his final year, which could mean pretty good things about um, – the UCLA staff's assessment of their current quarterback competition, or maybe he looked at it and he didn't think that he had a great chance of beating out uh, Devon Modster. Um, and uh, so that could be a good thing. Uh, Devon Modster has been uh, solid um, through spring ball. Um, not spectacular, but you know, uh, you got to take all spring ball with kind of a grain of salt. Uh, famously unspectacular in practice included uh, Brett Hundley and Josh Rosen. So um, being unspectacular in practice is not necessarily a deal breaker. Uh, the offense has been very vanilla um, through most of spring ball. They threw in some wrinkles recently where they um, started to do some more, you know, uh, throwing in some like triple option type looks, not like the classic triple option, but stuff where they've got a pitch out option on the run. Um, so that was interesting. But for the most part, they've been very vanilla, um, keeping everything kind of horizontal, working on just they're working on very fundamental basics. They're breaking in uh, potentially a new starting center in Boss Tagaloa if he wins that job. Um, and he was a defensive lineman, a starting defensive lineman last year. And now he's going to start at center potentially. Um, and he's still just learning how to snap a ball. So um, they've been working on just the exchange, all that kind of stuff uh, extensively. Um, the defense is very much ahead of the offense at this point. Um, switching back to a 3-4 from a 4-3. Um, the 3-4 is what they were under the first three years of Jim Mora. Then they switched to a 4-3 the last couple of years. Now they're back to a 3-4. Probably a better fit for the personnel. Um, they've looked pretty good so far this spring, but you really, it's just so hard to tell um, at this juncture you know, who's ahead and who's behind. Uh, but the defense, there's certainly talent on the defense. Um, Linebacker is probably the biggest question mark, but defensive line has some legit NFL guys. Uh, Chigozi Naruka is going to be a name everyone starts to know pretty soon. Rick Wade. Um, Jalen Phillips is out for the remainder of spring. Oh. Uh, he uh, hurt his wrist in an off-season scooter accident, um, and then they were thinking he might be back for the second half of spring, but then he had to get a second surgery on the wrist um so he's hopefully going to be back by fall camp um, but they do have some other bodies on the defensive line so that's not necessarily the most crippling hit but um yeah i mean it's been uh it's it's still got a 
two and a half more weeks of spring. Um, so there's a lot more time for things to shake out, but I don't think, I don't think there's going to be like a named quarterback starter by the end of the spring. I think that's probably all going to wait until fall camp. And then they get a look at Dorian Thompson Robinson, the star true freshman from uh, Bishop Gorman. Does it um, feel like it's a, a high tempo, like similar kind of thing than what you saw when he was running stuff at Oregon? By all accounts, yeah. Um, it's not um, the it's not the same scheme, but they're definitely moving at pace in practice. Um, so when Jim Mora first arrived um, at UCLA with Noel Mazzoni, they were doing pretty high tempo, and especially compared to Rick Neuheisel, um, who was who ran horrible practices that were super slow moving and disorganized because he would get the practice plan in maybe like 10 minutes before practice started. Um, I just had to get that in there because Rick knew was terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was a big jump. And then a couple of people have said that these are even faster than those early Mora years. Um, some people have said they're about the same. Some people said they're a little bit slower, but they're probably comparable in terms of that tempo. Um, so that's pretty fast for practice. We'll obviously see what the scheme looks like. Um, Right now, it doesn't look like much of anything, um, but the best guess at this point is it's going to look more like what he did with the Eagles um, his first couple years in the NFL versus what he was necessarily doing at Oregon. Uh, but that's, I mean, it's just still so early. I don't even know how much of the scheme they've actually installed. Um, they're really, I, I, what he was emphasizing, emphasizing for most of the first two and a half weeks was, we just want to get them used to practicing at our speed, used to practicing and doing the things we want, used to our terminology and all that junk. Um, so I think they're going to start installing more towards the end of spring here. Um, but then I think fall camp is where we're going to first really get a look at what they're going to be trying to run um, during the season. Is uh, my boy Caleb Wilson, is he out there? Is he doing okay? Yes, yes. Uh, he's 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 uh, he's still a little dinged up, Um Devin Asiasi has actually been doing uh, pretty well so far this spring, but it's going to be a competition between those two. Um, and Chip Kelly's actually shown some two tight end and even a couple of three tight end sets. So it's very possible that you'll see Caleb Wilson, Devin Asiasi, Jordan Wilson, all starting at the same time. Wouldn't that be magical? Just a full tight end offense. <laughs> that would be good. Um... <laughs> it would be great. I, I just don't see Chip Kelly running a full side offense, but who knows? You know, maybe. Hey, you know what? He's an innovator. All right. That's true. It's just going to be all tight ends everywhere. Uh, there the Caleb most... Wilson could play some quarterback. We know this. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, wow, I like that. Yeah, he was he was in Fuego last year before he got hurt. So, uh, all right. So that's our UCLA report. We still have one left. It is USC Trojans. And I guess I'll handle that one. Unless you want to take it over, Dave, you can do it too. But um, it would be funny. It probably would be good. Uh, let's see. So the big thing is, you know, similar to UCLA, who's going to replace Sam Darnold. Um, unlike Stanford, they actually have two scholarship quarterbacks uh, that are playing. Not necessarily playing well, but they are playing. Uh, Jack Sears is a redshirt freshman. And Matt Fink is a redshirt sophomore. Fink's the only guy with game experience. He's been the clear leader for me. Sears probably had the worst practice I'd seen uh, from a quarterback Ever? in a while uh, last week. Um, there was three picks. He didn't complete a pass during – I so I chart all of the throws for both quarterbacks, um, which is – 
painstaking, but it, you know, then I don't have to talk to people when I'm at practice. But and Dave, Dave knows that's valuable. But yes. Um, <laughs> so during he completed some passes during seven on seven, but during full team competitive periods. So there was you know eleven guys on offense, eleven guys on defense. That practice, not only did he throw three picks, but he did not complete anything to an offensive player. So it was pretty horrible. Now, it wasn't like 100 throws. It was like a dozen throws or something, but still not having one completion. Now, he he bounced back, and I think both quarterbacks played a lot better in the scrimmage that they had this past Saturday. Um, and it was the most physical. It was probably one of the better practices I've seen, and the offense definitely played a lot better, and it started with Jack Sears and, and Matt Fink. So uh, maybe there's some progress there, but there's this kind of – there's this guy, Dave – uh, in a backpack, who's been at a lot of practices watching the quarterbacks closely, and he's kind of like this, you know, he's like, look, it's like in a horror movie, like the, you're, you're turning around and there's some eyeballs from around the corner, you can't see who it is. It's JT Daniels from Modern Day, so everyone kind of expecting because neither neither of these quarterbacks have stepped up and just taken the job that it's going to be JT Daniels to to lose when he comes in in the fall, but he's still taking classes to finish up. He's probably not going to be there for most of the summer for summer workouts. He probably won't be there until fall camp. It's going to be hard tell to me, yeah. Tell me, to, tell me, Ryan, is he is he taking classes to finish up his senior year of high school? His senior year of high school, yes. Is it his actual senior year of high school? No, he's a junior, but he's finished. right, right, right. Okay, so so just to be clear, a guy who is a um, is a true senior in high school is going to be starting potentially for USC this year. Potentially, yes. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, no, no, so, no, continue, please. So, yeah, so that's – but it's kind of this elephant in the room thing where either one of these quarterbacks, if they went out and just played really well, it makes it that much harder for Daniels to come in and try to overcome that. But neither guy has really taken the rein, so it's at least an easier path for Daniels to come in. Now, he's still got to make the transition from high school junior, as David said, to college freshman. That's sometimes a five-star guy. It takes a while. He needs a red shirt and all that kind of stuff. So we don't know what it's going to look like, but – it's potentially set up that he could, if not win the job right away, maybe because they play a couple tough road games at Stanford, at Texas, maybe they lose a couple of those and he ends up getting the job similar to what happened with uh, Sam Darnold a couple years ago. So that's kind of been the main focus is what's going on with the quarterback stuff. I think the defense has been really good. Uh, it's a lot deeper than what we've seen before. Clancy Pendergast typically doesn't rotate guys, but they might do more of that this year. And uh, a couple of, um, of uh, true freshmen that are early enrollees, Talanoa Hufunga uh, from Corvallis, he's been great. He's had some interceptions, um, making a lot of plays. I don't think there's a lot of room for him, but they got to find a way to get him on the field uh, somehow. And then a Hawaiian linebacker, they've had pretty good success, Kanai Mauga. I think it's Mauga is how you say it. But um, he's come in. I talked to Clancy Pendergast on Thursday about him. He's like, yeah, he's just been a real surprise. Um, so I, I think the defense is going to be deeper, better. They got Porter Gustin back. Um, you know, I think on offense, you got two really good wide receivers and Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's, but it's just still that quarterback thing is the, uh, it's going to be the big question mark. All right. So I want you to quantify Matt Fink's arm strength for me, but I want you to do it on a Browning scale. <laughs> so are we at a half Browning, three quarters of a Browning, a full Browning, a two X Browning? What are we at? I'm going to say like a two-thirds browning. Holy. Is that? That's, wow. That's not good, right? Like That's that's know. pretty bad. Yeah. That's pretty bad. I don't know. I mean, that might not be fair to either, to either are you, guy. Are you, are you calling him a full browning or are you calling him a half browning? It's a, 
maybe three quarters of brown. I don't know. It's close to Browning, but I, it's hard. Browning's you know started for a couple years. Like I don't really want to compare the two, but it's just pure arm strength wise. It's not you know. I don't think Fink has got a lot of those throws that you know a Darnold or a a Rosen are making easy. You know. Right. So okay. So a high school senior um, is is going to be starting at quarterback this year. So surely he he must be some dynamic dual threat who can just do so many things with his <laughs> legs that it makes up for the fact that he hasn't yet played at college speed, correct? Uh, no, Dave. <laughs> okay, okay. But he's more athletic. Well, then surely surely he's he's one of those like hulking monstrosities, you know, six six, two thirty, just that college ready body. He looks like he's twenty five and just ready to go out there, right? <laughs> no, Dave. <laughs> Weird. But he's—I think he's more athletic than people give him credit for. He—he he worked on that a lot. Uh, but he's just—if you watch him in high school, he's really good. But I don't know if he's the kind of guy that you would want to have to start as a true freshman, like a Matt Barkley did and stuff like that. So it's—I don't think he will. I think Matt Fink's going to end up starting, and it's just how well they do through the first few games will determine, and how well J.T. Daniels does in, in camp will determine that. But my guess is Dave that Fink ends up getting the start. So USC fans out there, um, I asked Ryan to quantify Matt Fink's arm strength on a Browning scale, and he gave me a three-quarter Browning. And then he followed that up by saying, he's probably going to start this year. Yeah. Uh, so It's not all about how, you know, how hard you can throw the ball, Dave. Come on. but No, uh, no, no, no. No, definitely not. Definitely not. He does Except have sometimes a... it is. Except sometimes, like, you've got to actually get the ball someplace. <laughs> yes. Um, and it helps if you don't have to time it with a sundial. They've been woeful on deep balls. Uh, now, Jack Sears threw a couple long ones on Saturday, but I was charting them. I think they were two of 19 on deep balls. Now, both of those were Fink touchdowns. So, But uh, Sears was, like, 0 for 11 on deep balls heading into uh, Saturday, I believe. I have to go back and look at my notes. But... Um, it's a lot of short stuff and it's spring and whatever, but it's, uh, there, I mean, it's certainly an area for concern. I think they're going to try to run the football more. Aka Cedric Ware is a true senior. I think he's been good. Steven Carr's out for spring, but really dynamic, you know, former five-star running back when he comes yeah, back, sure. uh, you know, it's pretty deep offensive line. The defense is really good. So I think they're going to try to win games without like relying on whoever the quarterback is to just go out and make hero plays like a Sam Darnold did. And that'll be an interesting formula. Yeah, that was certainly not the formula the last couple of years. So no. it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of change speed a little bit, um, because that will require them doing some things a little bit differently on offense. Yeah, they're going to have to. Um, we had, uh, we got to follow. I want to re- real quick. Uh, Futameki, is that how we say it? He started sure. following us. So uh, nice. I think he just made a Twitter. He has got like he's got eight followers already. Nice, but. Uh, Thanks. Shout out to uh, Futameki for uh, following us on Twitter. You can follow all of us. All of you guys can follow us on Twitter at Pac-12 Podcast. So, so do that. We need more. Yeah. We're over a thousand now, but we need more. We need more. We're we're always in need of more. Okay. That is that is our philosophy in life. So, question wise, uh, we do have some voicemails. A uh, couple. I'm gonna. This really isn't a question one, but I'm just gonna play it because I think this was our first voicemail. Hey guys, uh, I don't know if uh, I'm the first one to call in, but. Uh, this is Alex in South Central. Just want to let you guys know, um, I love your show. Um, I don't really have a question because, like I said, I wanted to see if it worked for you guys. So uh, hopefully this uh, new phone number works as opposed to the other one, which was uh, 
seemed like it had all the numbers and the, uh, like a binary code or something. Anyway, i talk to you guys later and uh, keep up the great work. Bye. Binary numbers? Binary code would be, like, that would just be ones and zeros. Yes. Be, that'd be kind of fine. That'd be just, <laughs> you just got to get the sequence right. Yeah. Call 1010101 and leave a voicemail for the podcast of champions. Um, I guess it was confusing for people. So we got voicemails it right was. away. I got so much hate for that just personally in my personal life from people who listen to the show who were like, I'd call in, but I just can't. I can't do it. I cannot press all of those numbers. <laughs> I would have to write them down, and that is a bridge too far. Well, now you can add this. All you got to do is add this number to your phone, and whenever you're feeling frisky, you can send us a text or leave us a voicemail, and we'd love to play it on the show. Um, yeah. So that you know what we should do? We should um, have uh, like football Saturdays like for periods of time where we take the Do Not Disturb off, and people can text us. Ooh, and like so in real time we can respond. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Well, you could actually if you pull it up on your uh browser, I started doing this. Like they'll text and you could like respond right in your browser. Like we can Oh, that's cool. Yeah, without the All do right. not disturb. Yeah, so we could do that. Okay, cool. Um it could be like a live conversation and stuff, so. <laughs> sure. Uh yeah. What are we getting into? I don't know. Okay, so here's the other voicemail we got. Frank from Fresno here. Will a Pac-12 team make the college playoffs this year? And if not, does this create a change or impetus for change from the very top of getting Larry Scott out? So I don't think anyone in the South will have the record right. to do it. So it's got to be a North team. And if I'm looking at it right, it's, Washington or Stanford, right? I would that yeah, I would think I think Washington is the only re- legit shot this year. I would say like to make a run at it. That would be my All guess. All right, so Washington gets Auburn at home, so chance for a signature yeah. win there. Um and also not a crippling loss. Like if they lost that one it wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh then they get North Dakota at home, uh and then their other non-conference is BYU at home. So easy two and one, potentially three and zero oh with a big signature win. Um, in conference, they avoid USC, which is big. Um, they also avoid Arizona, which I think might be better than playing. I think that's better yeah. than missing ASU this year. I would agree. It's close. I think they're both going to be decent, but. I think you'd rather have ASU. Um, and the road games are at Utah, at UCLA, at Oregon, at Cal, and at Washington State. So relatively manageable road slate. I think you've got to look at that at Oregon. Um, that could be tricky. At Utah could also be tricky. Um, I don't think UCLA will be too unmanageable for Washington. Um but yeah, they've. I mean, you probably have to figure they have to go eleven and one over that slate. It's not a bad schedule. Like they'll get some points for it being a relatively tough schedule. I mean, getting Auburn in the non-conference, and I think BYU will bounce back a little bit this year. But they probably have to go eleven and one regular season. Yeah, I would think so, and it could be like the single loss um, 
to Auburn to start the season and then make a run there. I, I think that's the most likely scenario. Now, if if the Pac-12 does not make the playoff, I don't think it puts any more pressure on Larry Scott, to be honest. But no, you no. would you would hope that, but I don't think it will. Nope. Um, but we'll see. There should be less of an opportunity for um, some of the power teams to lose where they. You know, the conference would put them in really bad situations, not impossible situations, but just not, you know, it just gives you a few extra ways to lose games. So, um, you know, they're not doing the Friday road game after an, another road game, which, you know, the teams were 0-4, 0-5 or whatever uh, in that. So that's that's a positive sign. Yeah. But I don't think much is going to change. Uh, as far I as agree. Goes. Um, our buddy Andrew emailed us. We don't, we don't have to read it, but... Um, he did give us permission, so we now now we have to do something with all this stuff. Yeah, we, we'll we'll post his. I'll I'll do it at some point this week. We'll post his um, his statistical breakdown of the Pac-12. It's really good stuff. I recommend reading it. A lot of fun. Um, and uh, I'll post that on our Pac-12podcast.com website. Um, I mean, I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna do it this week, so you can count on it sometime before the end of December. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's really good stuff. I'll try to get it up this week. I think it'd be um, great. I mean, I, it, it'd be good to go through it all and, and let people you know know about it. So uh, thanks for that, Andrew. Yeah, it was great stuff. Um, we got an email from Hithliday. Oh, okay. The Alchemists of Third Street. What? Uh, Hithliday Almond, our friend, says, I appreciated you boys' chutzpah last week in throwing shade at somebody else's ability to predict the future of football, considering your pick'em scores are public record. Wow. The heat. I feel the burn. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we got more Captain Hindsight than underpants gnomes. I'm less interested in figuring out if seven years ago Larry Scott was an idiot savant than I am in laying out the situation today and seeing if anything can be done about it. On your suggestion, I went back to look at Wilner's columns over the last year and confirmed that the conference does have the ability right now to both lower the rates paid by TV providers for the Pac-12 network as long as it's the same rate to everyone, meaning accepting DirecTV's lowball offer would probably reduce overall revenue, and to claw back some scheduling control for kickoff times from Fox slash ESPN in exchange for a lower payout. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly how much these trade-offs would actually cost. We do know that the conference pays out about $28 million per year to each school, of which about $8 million is from the Pac-12 network, and the vast majority of the remaining $20 million is the Tier 1 Fox slash ESPN rights. That $28 million makes up between a quarter to a half of the total athletic department revenues at each school, depending on the size of their budgets. The Pacific Northwest is the big disparity. For Oregon and Washington, TV is the smallest slice. For Oregon State and Wazoo, it's the biggest. Does all that sound right to you? Sounds, yeah, sure. Sure? Yeah. All right. If so, then please put on your university CEO hats and tell me what you'd vote for. One, how much of that $8 million would you give up to get the Tier 3 games on Pac-12 Network on DirecTV? Um... Hmm. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like two million. Yeah, one or two million. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking here? What do we have to negotiate? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's hard to know. Like in a vacuum, I would give up a little bit of money for sure. Yeah, uh, I think the greater exposure for brand equity and a lot of other things, I think, would make 
uh, long-term financial sense. Um, so I'd give up some portion of that. I don't know if I would give up like a full eight million, but I'd probably give up a couple. Yeah, and I, right? I and I think it's not just the tier three games. I think it's also all the Pac-12 program. Like you can't keep up with the network if you're not get. You know, you want to you want Pac-12 fans. They have to be able to get the network. So you're just making the network uh, more accessible. So I think it's even more than just getting those tier three games out there. It's getting everything out there. Yeah, and I, I don't know what um, – I, I, I should probably look into this before opining wildly about it. But, like, the football in 60s that they do, um, early on, they were doing some of those. Like, they were getting the Fox games. They even got – I think they got rights to a couple of the ESPN games. I could be wildly wrong there where they got – basically were able to do the football in 60s of those um which is if you guys don't know that's their where they basically cut a football game down to 60 seconds on like the tuesday following the games the previous weekend um i've watched those for like every team it's um, great and i think a lot of pac-12 fans would watch those so i think getting that on direct tv um would also like there's some good pro i mean we dog the pac-12 network there is some good programming it's just they they emphasize some weird stuff um, yeah. So I think getting any of that in front of more people would be ideal. And I think it's worth uh, some amount of money up front. Um, and then two, how much of that roughly 20 million would you give up for better scheduling priority of tier one games on Fox and ESPN? I think most teams have complained about that. Um, I think you'd probably give up a couple million of that too, but it probably depends on the program where if it's a, like a Washington or a USC or someone that's like, you know, I know Chris Peterson was really upset that stuff. They probably would give up a little bit more. Um, so it, it just kind of depends. But I think in that situation, you'd want it, – it's probably going to depend on which program you're talking about. And maybe the higher-profile programs would be willing to give up a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think this is more important for getting off of Fridays, um, yeah. getting as many high-profile games off of the Friday night um, because – you could make an argument that affected things severely this year uh, because Washington lost to Stanford Stanford, uh, and that was on a Friday night, correct? Yeah, USC lost to Washington State on a Friday. And a game that would have been, if it was a Saturday game, would have hosted, Pullman would have had their first college game day. You know, so stuff like that, like how valuable would that have been? You know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Washington would have been in the mix for a playoff bid if they hadn't lost that yeah. Stanford game. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's it right there. If they don't lose that game and then they go to the, you know, the Pac-12 title game and win there, um, they're potentially in the playoff, and then there's significantly more revenue coming into the conference um, from the playoff bid, um, and potentially, you know, beyond that, national title run. Um, so I, I think there's value in getting a little bit more control over the scheduling. I don't know how much they have right now. If they if it was just horrible oversight that caused that, or if it was, you know, their hands were just tied. Um, but if it did gain them a little bit more control over avoiding some high profile Friday games, um, and instead, you know, having those played in a little bit more advantageous circumstances, no Pac-12 team won a Friday game, won a Friday road game in the conference last year. That's yeah. not good. You shouldn't have those anymore no. unless you're, you know, trying to. You know, so Wait. yeah, if you're like trying to make the playoff and you're Washington, you'd probably give up five or ten million dollars of that just so you could, you know, if, if that would improve your chances. But um, maybe not that much. But you know, if you're Oregon well, State, there, you probably there, don't care. 
Well, and like the Bay Area and and the LA schools, having Friday games at home at oh. any point is a disaster um, because you're not getting people into the stands. Like, uh, if any of those have any of those games broken, like sixty thousand or sixty five thousand. I don't 000. think so. No, I mean you can't. Like, you have a six o'clock game. They There's have no USC. Has, USC has one this year, and it's like going to be a disaster in the Coliseum because of the renovation and all that kind of stuff. Like, they should not have a Friday night game. In this this year, especially in in LA at USC at the Coliseum, but you know that's yeah. just whatever. So every I think it's every other year. Then each of those schools is losing um, some money on, and it's generally been a relatively uh, high profile game. I think UCLA one of their Thursday night games or Friday night games is against Washington one year. Um, like there, it's been games that otherwise would have been particularly well attended uh, that weren't because they were on some you know random friday or thursday so uh getting that corrected um yeah i think there's value in it i i i'm not going to pin a number on it but yeah i think it's worth at least a couple million and i think it's not necessarily just about do you have to get rid of all of them but like when the big 10 was coming out with with some they weren't putting michigan and ohio state on friday night you know they weren't putting washington and stanford on a friday night so i think you you could just curb it in where it's like look (laughs) Those are better games. Don't put that on a Friday night. That that sort of thing. Like put this other crappier game on a Friday night. I think that way you could even still have those sort of games, but you're not putting your best teams there, which you'd never see Alabama and LSU play on a Friday night. Like that shouldn't happen in the Pac-12. Agreed. Cool. All right. All right. I think we're uh, I think we're good. Yeah, we thought this was going to be a short show. You know what it wasn't? Short. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, maybe because I'm lightheaded. I don't know. Wow, we almost cranked for two hours. That's crazy. Well, when you have yeah. to go update for every school, and we didn't yeah. even have that many questions, so normally we would have we would still have like half an hour worth of questions more. So, luckily we don't. Um, Incredible. All right. Well, thanks for everyone for all the updates. Um, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, share it. You know, text us. Text us your your giving blood stories. Uh, I don't know. We'll share all kinds of stuff. It'll be great. We'll share blood. Why tell, not? Tell Dave why he should give blood. <laughs> I respect though. You don't like needles. I get it. You know, if it's just like no, no, no. I, I fully, I fully respect anybody who gives me crap about that. That's completely fine. <laughs> I still probably won't give blood, but I, I respect, I respect it. Nice. Um, it's a, you know, I like free cookies, so uh, it's that's. I knew what you were in it for. I wasn't going to call it out. Yeah. Oh no, completely. They used to have Nutter Butters, and now they just have, like, Chips Ahoy and Oreos, which they're fine. But Nutter Butters, man, those are my favorite. So, hopefully, Red Cross LA, Torrance, if you can get some Nutter Butters back. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What kind of sadist are you that Nutter Butters were your favorite? I love the peanut butter cookies, man. Like, Oh, my God. No? I like Do-Si-Dos for— uh fine, but, like— Nutter Butters are so good. Uh, Do-Si-Dos were my favorite for Girl Scout cookies, you know? So you're, I'm probably going to piss you off with this food take. Wow. What's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Uh, God. Because uh, your kids probably, are... uh, probably a tag along. So I'm not like too dissimilar, but there's peanut butter in it, right? Yeah, the tag along. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's like Girl Scout cookie. It's such a unique and, and very particular yeah. thing. But like, if you're like asking me to rate cookies, like any chocolate chip is getting rated. Very, very, very much higher than than any peanut butter based cookie. 
Like a, a homemade chocolate chips, yes, but like for a honestly, virtually any chocolate chip cookie is getting rated <laughs> above virtually any peanut butter based cookie to me. Okay, I mean, I love chocolate chip cookies, but just nutter butters are unique. They shape like a peanut. They got you know, I like them. They're just I've always liked those, and they're they were more they're harder to find, you know. So. Right, right, but, but peanuts are like fine too. They're like just fine. They're not like <laughs> they're not great. They're shaped <sighs> like a peanut. Okay, they're shaped like something that's not great. They're shaped like something that's like fine. Like, I don't know, man. I've always liked Nutter Butters. They've always been like one of my favorites. So, wow. I just, I don't know. I feel like my world's been rocked now. One of the uh, underrated cookies, like if you ever, do you like to bake? Do you like to make cookies and stuff at all, or your wife or your girlfriend? Um, I, uh, I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm not good at it, and I don't like it, but I'll do it from time to time. Okay. I I like doing them. Um, and uh, but the, you make an oatmeal with the butterscotch chips. Those are those are pretty good. I like those wow. a lot. So you're a baker. I do like to bake. I'm just because I like I have a sweet tooth, so I like to do that. My wife is less of a baker because she doesn't like a lot of sweet stuff. She'd rather eat chips, so I kind of have to sure. do the baking. Yeah. Okay. But all right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. Let us know what your favorite cookies are. Tell us why we're idiots. All that kind of fun stuff. So tweet us at Pactual Podcast. Email us Pactual Podcast at gmail.com. And call our Google Voice line, which is, I don't remember it yet, 424-532-0678. That is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham, and we are the Podcast of Champions. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.